Hello friends, James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com from the sunny climes of Acapulco, Mexico. And as you can already see, if you're watching the video version of this, we are talking to, well, our old friends, Larkin and Amanda Rose, who you'll remember from a recent conversation. Thank you for joining us in the flesh. Thanks for having us in the flesh. Thank you, James. <laughs> well, uh, Which sounds kind of... Yeah, that, does sound, <laughs> that sounds wrong in a number of ways, mostly because, no, of course it's not me. We're here at the Acapulco 2020 conference. and. What a great time to turn things around a little bit, because of course this is questions for Corbett, where you send in the questions and I answer them, but this time you've sent in questions for Larkin and Amanda, so it's questions for Rose. And uh, let's get straight into some questions. Again, I'm sure you have heard these questions before, but let's see how you can answer them. Uh, Corbett Report member Zix7, uh, with Zeds, very important, on the, uh, the last uh, interview that we did, asked the question, how does environment protection work in a anarchistic principle, in an anarchistic society, I guess? People in many countries just dump poisonous garbage into the nature or ocean or burn it, creating toxic substances. The same is for pesticides that are cheap but can damage other people's health. Right. And then this is one of those issues that's it, it, what it boils down to is what you feel you have the right to do you can do. And people, when you get to an, uh, sort of an uncomfortable area, like, well, at what point am I going to tell somebody, like, don't throw litter in the woods? Like, well, I can tell them that. At what point do I have the right to, like, forcibly interfere? And the problem is that the belief in government makes it so people can just do a cop-out and run to authority and have them decide so I don't have to deal with it. So this is one of many issues where it is sort of uncomfortable in that you have to sort of think, well, at what point is somebody else's actions having enough of an effect on me or on whatever that I would feel justified in actually doing something about it? And, and you know, anybody can feel justified in talking about it and saying, can you not do that or we'll boycott you or something. Um, and so, and, and it's one of those inherently difficult questions because unused resources are sort of owned by nobody until, until somebody like homesteads them to use the to use that term. And so there isn't just magically a formula that says, well, we'll do some magic trick and nobody will ever do that. And I would also point out people already do it when there is government all over the place. Um, and so making it illegal doesn't stop it, but there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to try to discourage it. And it, it really comes down to, it comes down to an answer that people don't like to hear, but is the truthful answer which is people will decide what to do about it. And I would usually turn it around and say, well, at what point would you feel justified if someone just like dumping sludge in the river? At some point I would feel justified in going to them and saying, you're not allowed to keep doing that. And if we have to do something sort of drastic, like mess up your factory, we're gonna at some point, if you're like killing all the fish and people are downstream and dying from it. Um, but it turns into one of those responsibility things that if you, if you feel justified in doing it, and you can talk to other people and organize and you know, tell them like, you, you can't keep doing this or we'll do it. But it's one of those things where people need to be grown-ups. And sometimes that turns uncomfortable. But when people think that letting government do it is the solution, you have to look at the fact that government is literally the biggest polluter in the world. Yep. So it isn't a magic solution, it's just passing the buck to somebody else, hoping they do a good job, 
And then the big corporation buys the politicians, and the politician says, you're allowed to dump sludge yeah. in the river. And we all go, oops, oh well. So it's, it's one of the ways in which people need to be grown-ups. And yes, that means responsibility, which sometimes is kind of inconvenient. But the outcome of people deciding when to act on their own is actually better and a more reliable check against things like that than we'll give all the power to that group over there and, well, golly gee, they just got bought off by the polluters and didn't do anything. Um, and I think also the question, um, you know, I know the question is mostly aimed at you, but um, I'll point out that every question related to, well, how would we deal with this problem, and pollution is, you know, one, two, is sort of, again, like asking, but without government, but really this group of people stealing from all of us by force and killing people, without this group stealing from all of us by force, how would we get this thing done, is what every question is, and that's absurd when you actually look at it. It's like, well, however we're gonna solve this problem and organize, we certainly can't solve it effectively or well if all of us are being victimized, abused, and robbed from all the time, and a group of thieves isn't solving anything at all. They, Like you said, they can't be solving anything because all they're doing is stealing. That's what they're based on. They might tell you they're gonna do that, and then people think, well, they must be doing something related to that problem solving, so how would we do it without them? They aren't solving that problem, they never have been, and if anything, they're, they're just preventing regular people from organizing and funding it voluntarily in a better way, whatever that endeavor is, whether it's cleaning up the earth or trying to create good education programs for people or trying to put public parks out there, whatever it is. And it's worth pointing out that where there is more freedom, there is more prosperity. And where yep. there is more prosperity, people can afford to care about these things. Like the yep. whole save the dolphins thing. If you're starving to death, you don't really give a damn about the dolphins. Eat if we the get, dolphins. Right, eat the yeah, dolphins, eat. make dolphin sandwich. But when we get rich enough that we can start caring about endangered species and the environment and stuff, then the market, I mean, the market for like green, you know, the green is sort of the general term they use for it is, we don't use any of this, we don't use that, we don't harm dolphins and our tuna, you know, all the things they brag about, and we're so rich we can bother to care about that stuff. Yep. Instead of like, well, I dump my trash because what else am I gonna do? And I eat whatever animal walks across my yard because what else am I gonna do? So it actually, the, the prosperity that freedom allows makes it so we can afford to care about those things and do stuff about those things. And it's all, you know, all the worst polluters are already like India and China where there's tons and tons of very poor people. And it's like, we just throw it in the river because can't like, we don't have trash trucks. We didn't like, that's the simple thing to do. And as they progress more and more, it's like, well, now we have a way to easily not have to do that. And so it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, the central master plan of doing it, like, look how central master plans actually end up, and it isn't anti-pollution. Mm, right. True. In fact, China is probably a good example of that because the, the air quality issue has become a political issue precisely because people are now rising out of that subsistence poverty level yeah. and starting to care about things that they otherwise were happy to put up with, or maybe not happy, but what are you going to do? Right. Um, and let me tag on to what you said there. You said, of course, that making um, 
uh, uh, dumping happens whether it's, you know, even it, though it's illegal now. But also, I mean, as you say, if the corporations buy off the right politicians, they can make sure that their dumping is legal, yeah. and therefore it's sanctified by the state. So what are you going to do? Right. It now is legal. It's the law of the land now, right? Yeah, so. you wanted the big thug to be on your side, and they bought him. Oops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, now yeah. there's a big thug, and he's on their side. So without the big thug there, too, that everybody's supporting and believing in, it actually is a lot harder for any entity of a group of individuals, whether that's a business or whatever, just a, a tribe or a group of people, to just get so big that they can be actually polluting a bunch yeah, all at once. Yeah, they can get away with that without anybody doing it. And then without government, they're going to be more prosperous, and then the prosperity, again, will lead to more organized, voluntary solutions. So, yeah. Just boycotts and stuff, but there's a thousand ways to do it. Yeah. All right, second question from Liberty Dan, who writes... And I think I have to say this in a voice because it's kind of written that way, I think. Okay, Mr. Philosopher, so what does a world without government look like and how do you propose we get there? Note that if it requires dishing out lies and deceit as some anarchists practice, you can count me out. Not sure what the last part was referring to. I don't know, because, uh, yes, some anarchists practice lies and deceit, I guess, but so do a lot of statists. I don't don't know what the distinction is, and I don't know why it would require you to dish out lies and deceit. Not exactly sure what the last part was. Anyway, the first part, what does a world without government look like, and how do you propose we get there? The funny thing is, the idea that anybody could or should be able to, to describe what the interactions of seven billion people would look like is kind of ridiculous. Yep. The one thing I can tell you it wouldn't look like is a bunch of people doing stuff that they think is wrong because authority told them to, which means it doesn't look like constant war because nobody's going to do that on their own. Nobody's dumb enough to go, well, my neighbor told me to go to another country and blow up some people I don't know, so off I go. It's only because they believe in authority. And so mostly it's what we won't see. And what we will see is literally a thousand ideas that I can't imagine and you can't imagine and they can't imagine. And and this is one of the things that comes up often when people say, I mean, that's sort of like the all-encompassing, what will everything look like? When people say, well, how will the roads be done? How will this be done? And all I can say is like, the only truthful answer is I can give guesses, I can give suggestions, And I can give you a guarantee that whatever I come up with, a million other people will come up with something better. And that's why freedom is as powerful as it is, is because if nobody, if there isn't like this little group that has their ideas and forces it on everyone, it's literally everyone can have ideas and then everyone else can decide which ideas to go along with. So the world will literally look like a million different competing solutions to every problem and then the ones that don't work will go, okay, let's stop doing that, let's try that. And it, it will forever be advancing and progressing instead of we have our solution, here it is being imposed, and if you have a different solution, too bad you're not allowed to. So the idea that any one person could possibly, I don't care how smart anybody is, the idea that one person could explain how all these things are going to be solved is like asking someone in revolutionary days, well, how will we get around in the year 2000? They would have no freaking idea, but they would know, well, the smart ones anyway, that if we're allowed to have freedom and voluntary interchange, it's going to be a lot better than if we don't. And that, that's the thing is people are, are so used to having a centralized master plan mentality that don't worry, there's people in charge with a master plan, and they ignore the fact that if you look at the results of master plans, 
like Mao's great leap forward. It was lots and lots of dead people and pretty much nothing positive. But if you look at the average supermarket where nobody was forced to do anything, it's a thousand times more productive and useful. I mean, government has its tentacles and taxes in it, but it's not forcing anybody to be involved. So if you want a real world example of anarchy in action, go shop at a supermarket and see if anybody there was forced to do anything. Check out people, the managers, the customers, they just go there, it's voluntary interchange, very organized, lots of cooperation, and nobody made you do any of it. Yeah. I would say go to your farmer's market, but same, yeah, same idea. Yeah, you've got one of them, go to them. Right. <laughs> Anything to add? Um, I also think it's important to point out that so much of statism has been embedded in the brain and the subconscious that even people who are already self-proclaimed, you know, liberty minds and anarchists, they're still asking questions that actually reveal the statism is still there. And that question often is, that question is the perfect reveal that you're still thinking in a status paradigm. The assumption that anybody, sort of like he said, but just the assumption that any one person, it's up to any one person to give a solution for how, I don't know, a bunch of other individuals in the world are gonna live is absurd and ridiculous on the face of it. I should never have that power. That's why I'm an anarchist. It's not my job. I'm, I can affect with you know words and, and actions in some way the people around me in a voluntary way, and if they want to organize with me, great. But it's the whole idea that I need somebody to tell me how a world is going, how the whole world's going to work, how life's going to work out, how all these people are going to interact, or else I want this group robbing from us and stealing from us. Yeah. And if you can't tell me exactly how all my problems in life are going to be solved and how all these 7 billion people are going to interact, you, Larkin Rose, if you can't tell me, well then, I would rather have these guys bombing and killing everyone and stealing from us. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're scared and uncertain and you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. No one human being on earth can tell you how your life's gonna go. And the whole premise of the state is they promise they can do that for you. They promise security. They promise certainty. They, that's their whole front is, we're gonna tell you how this system of society's gonna work. And they don't even create a functional system. They don't create a system at all. They create an oppressive gang that just robs from everybody and screws up a natural organic system of people voluntarily interacting that would form anyway. So get the statism out of your brain by stop assuming, stopping assuming that other people should have to tell you the answer to how your life is going to be lived and how other people are going to be, be living their life in the world because that's not how reality works. Nobody goes out every day and goes, a, a quick, I need somebody to tell me how my next week and month are going to go and how all my problems are going to be solved or I'm not leaving my bedroom. Like, nobody does <laughs> yeah. that. But then people ask these questions and they are not actually rational questions and it's not up to us to answer it. Yeah. And, and this is becoming a little bit cliche, but it's used for a reason. Like, would you argue that, well, we have to keep having slavery until someone explains how the cotton will be picked if we don't. And so my, I would, in part, answer his question with a question. Do you advocate the violent subjugation of mankind unless and until somebody can describe for you how everything will work without it? If so, you're not really a moral human being. Yep. All right, let's move to the third and final question uh, from Eli.D, who writes, Statist Jim, who you will remember was oh, interviewing. Yes. Statist Jim missed the obvious question when they asked, would you agree to not use the government to control other people if in return the other people wouldn't use the government to control you? Status Jim said yes. Here's what I would ask. 
So, for instance, I would agree that other people couldn't use the government to enforce zoning regulations on me, and in return, I would agree to not use the government to apprehend other people if they break into my mother's house and beat her up and steal her money? Is that what you're asking? Oh, okay. It took me a minute to figure yeah, out yeah, it's <laughs> the, a, the actual meaning right. of it. Yeah. Um, the only thing anybody ever wants government for is to do things they don't have the right to do themselves. Yep. Some people pretend otherwise when they say, well, I only want government to defend the innocent, which I have the right to do myself so I can hire somebody else to do it. So far, that makes sense. Except if you, like, have a right to hire somebody, like, you have a right to stop somebody from breaking into, you know, whoever's house and beating them up, and you're like, well, yeah, but I'm little and weak and unarmed, so I'm gonna pay my buddy, who's big and has a gun, to come stop the guy from breaking in. That's perfectly legitimate. It's also not authority and not government. Because the notion of authority is there are a specific group of people that have special rights. The government version of protection is never purely defensive. Because it starts with, you all have to pay for that guy to protect you. If you just hired somebody to do what you have the right to do, perfectly moral, perfectly useful, we would all do that, I'm sure, in one sense. Because we're not all going to do every single thing for ourselves. Some of us can defend ourselves, but we don't want to grow our own food, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but the notion that there can be a purely defensive government comes from not looking at what government is. It's like saying, I only want carjackers who just protect us from thieves. It's like, well, it would be nice to have people who protect us from thieves, but by definition, they're not carjackers. If you only want a government that protects individual rights, you do not want a government. I don't know why you'd feel the need to try to call it that, but it does not fit the definition of a government. If you're hiring a group of people to delegate to them your right of self-defense, excellent. Don't call it government because it isn't. They're still just people. They don't have magical legislative rights. They don't have authority. They don't have jurisdiction. They don't have anything. They have exactly what you have. You just paid them to do a thing just like you pay someone to mow your lawn or something. They're not government. There is no such thing as a purely defensive government. And there's no such thing as a moral government. Because if it's not, if it doesn't commit violent aggression, it literally doesn't fit the definition of government. Right. And it's the difference between saying, do you have the moral right to hire somebody to do something you're morally allowed to do? And when you ask the government to do something, what are they actually doing? <coughs> They're actually stealing from everybody by force first. They're stealing from all your neighbors. Do you have a right to go steal from your neighbor by force and then use that money to hire somebody to defend your grandma? Well, no. And that's what using government is because government is all based on theft by force. And so that wa that's why it's inherently illegitimate and immoral government. If it's not based on theft, it isn't a government. If it's all voluntary, it's just an organization. We have words for that, community, organization, committee. All that stuff is voluntary. Once it becomes not based on theft, it becomes not a government. Yeah. And quickly, this sort of even ties in with the first thing when it comes to responsibility, because one of the things is, okay, we caught this psycho, he's been breaking in, we caught him, we all know he did it, you know, tons of witnesses, and he even admits it, and it's like, ah, heck with you. All right, we have him captive, right now he's not hurting anybody, what do we do about it? The annoying, inconvenient, responsible thing is, what do I feel justified myself in doing about it? And it's uncomfortable, and it should be. 
Like, this is a human being. We don't just want to whack his head off if he stole a candy bar, but we don't want to just let him go and make, you know, we have to do the uncomfortable thing of figuring out what would I do? And the person next to me goes, well, what do I feel justified in? And you have to come up with these uncomfortable decisions, which is why people want to think like children and say, dial 911, let them do it. Don't make me have to be a grown-up. And they don't realize that in giving away their responsibility, they empower a thief way worse than the guy that you're wondering what to do with. And so it's one of those things, it's why so many people want government and authority, because it's a get out of responsibility free card. And that's what they actually want it for. And I'll, I'll quickly throw in, a couple times I've done a little group exercise where I have people, um, you know, anarchists and statists and, you know, different areas of the political spectrum and say, imagine we're it, like we're on a desert island somewhere, we just got shipwrecked here and we're it. And we're trying to figure out, you know, how to get along and stuff. And, you know, there's resources and fresh water, so we're not dead in three days. And we catch one of our one of our own, like, beating people up or stealing their stuff. What do we do? And I've had little discussions with people. And, like, what do we do? And some are like, well, I've talked to him and tried to figure out why he felt the need to do it. And somebody else is sort of more like, well, stop him and tie him up to begin with. And then, figure, you know, so there's different approaches. Every single one of the approaches is better than the, the government approach. And after I let people give their suggestions, I say, how about this? I'm going to rob all of you and build a cage and put him in it. Then I'm going to rob you more and give him free room and board forever. And people chuckle because it's so stupid. That is the government solution. Nobody, however irresponsible and short-sighted and short-tempered they are, has a solution dumber than the government solution. So that even people who haven't thought about it before, like, and I do these little groups, and it's the first time they've even thought about it, they still come up with something 100 times better than government. And of course, we can do better than that if you like ponder it a little bit longer. But when people suddenly are stuck in the position of having to be responsible, because in that scenario, if there's no 911 to call, it's like, well, gee, uh, and then they have to think about it, and then they invariably come up with something better than government, it's just most people don't like to have to think about stuff. And again, they want the irresponsibility crutch of let authority handle it. Because that's what they've been trained. They're trained in the schoolroom to do that. They're trained at home by most parents. They're trained by the media. Like, don't take the law into your own hands. You call 911. Don't be a grown-up. Don't be responsible. Don't actually be the change you want to see in the world. Be the whiny twit who calls the cops. And, and they show up and shoot your dog. Um, so it takes responsibility and thinking about stuff to actually be a responsible grown-up and make the world what it's supposed to be. If we're all a bunch of children hoping a, a master is going to make things what, it's, what it should be, it's not going to work. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that in the scenario where all those you know, statists and liberty lovers all together had to think from the context of we're stranded on an island so there isn't a government there, not a single person in that experiment ever thinks to come up with Let's form a government on this island. Yeah. A couple of us should just rob from the rest of us by force. You have to give up all your uh, a chunk of your coconuts and leaves every day, and then I we're going the right to rule. and then we're going to redistribute it. Like nobody in your experiments has ever decided. Let's form a government, or doesn't let's start, has come to, up with this a government. So stupid. Yeah, because it's it, yeah, among it, statists, it doesn't occur to them. Yeah, among the statists, they don't think of it in that experiment because as soon as they realize it's on me and there isn't anybody here, they're trying to own themselves and think responsibly because yeah. they know they have to. As soon as they realize, hey, it's just people, what do we do? 
they think rationally. They just have to look at the bigger scale and go, the whole planet's just people. What do we do? Instead of let's imagine this this artificial authority and have it fix everything, which does not end well. No. All right. Well, that solves that. <laughs> I, I'm going to make a bold prediction here that now there will be about 50 times more questions in the comment section because this will spur so many ideas. But I have a solution for that. Reading a book in which I guarantee you every single one of those questions in that thread and a lot of the discussion that took place in that thread revolved around the issues that were addressed in great detail in a book like this one, The Most Dangerous Superstition by Mr. Larkin Rose. Where can people get a copy of this? Um, it is on Amazon. That is the, the easiest place to get it right now. Yep. Yeah, but they won't get a personally autographed edition. Yeah, they have to hunt me down for that. Well, if you want that, or if you want to buy it in bulk, I do that sometimes too. I do that on an individual basis, and then it's cheaper per book. Email um, And my email is Larkin, with an E, not an I, Larkin at LarkinRose.com, um, and I'm the only one who, who checks it. That's the most reliable way to, to get me. Directly. Oh, I will point out that... Um I have never met anybody who got through that entire book and you know read it open with an actual open mind, the intention to hear what it said, um, and got through the whole book and had any argument left for the concept of, of a government. The only people who have ever had a complaint didn't really have a legitimate complaint because they admitted they didn't actually read the book. Yeah, almost, <laughs> almost Most of them all got of triggered them like, by the first... I couldn't even finish it. The, the first <laughs> like, chapter, they're like, I can't... Uh, no, this, you know. And what's funny is I can't imagine what in the first chapter would trigger those particular people, but m the vast majority of people that actually read it say something along the lines of, this is the most important book I've ever read, everybody needs to read this, and there's just no argument left after that. This is your challenge status. Anyone who thinks government is is functional, is moral, is necessary, read this book and come up with your counter arguments. It's a challenge. You can do it. And it's funny, actually, someone was asking in a recent article I wrote where I said people should read a book or two, and I had hyperlinks to a couple of books on anarchism, and someone in the comments said, can anyone recommend any books? Well, yes, I just did. But here's another one, and yes, please check this out. And I understand you also have a website, a brand new website? We do indeed. Yay! It was only up as of a few days ago. It's therosechannel.com, and it's going to have, I don't even know what all it's going to end up with, but it has the audiobook of that, um, if you subscribe to that, and then it has our Candles in the Dark, uh, the online version of that seminar. It's going to have articles and videos that we make along the way. My daily rants, as I refer to them, are going to move over there soon. I'm on ConnectPal right now, but they're going to end up there. So it's, it's sort of going to be like the central, central master plan <laughs> collection of everything we do. Uh, the one-stop shop kind of a thing because it's so hard in this day and age to, to you know, when people are trying to figure out who you are, where's your stuff, what are you producing, if it's kind of all over the place and they can't reach you on Facebook or on this social media platform, then they don't know where to go. So we, we you know, we finally thought, oh, well, let's get with the 21st century and just get a one-stop shop website finally and put all our content there. And we may even have music up. As, you know, as part of subscription levels that you can access at some point because we both are musicians and want to make anarchy music. So there's just all kinds of stuff that'll be on that site. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much. It was uh, great talking to you. I'm very much hoping we get to meet again in the flesh in the future. Me too. Me too. Thanks, James. <laughs>